Amen. Happy Resurrection Easter Day. Are we allowed to say Easter? Right, yeah, I'm just kidding. You know how people get with that stuff, right? You guys ready to get into the Word? You know that we, we talk about Jesus being the Word, but, uh, and He is, but the spoken Word of God that's, that we call a Bible today is not only just the best-selling book of all times, but its words actually are living and active and powerful. Now, I, I don't think you get it because if, if I just heard that, I would not be looking at my phone or, or looking down. I would be ecstatic. You got to understand this, guys. There is a book, okay? Some of it, has anyone that like, you know, fairy tale movies like Once Upon a Time, Cinderella, all that stuff, right? Okay. They, the, the, the magic, and I use that word because it's fun because everyone gets all worried about it. The magic of the Bible is incredible. God's word is living and alive and useful and powerful to actually create new life and sustain life and to do miracles today, right now. That word, the Bible that you read, it is a printed book, yes. But if you add faith, when you read that book, that word comes alive. And that word can be used right now in the name of Jesus to do so many awesome things on this planet. It's amazing. And you and me have access to that. Whoever, whoever wants it can get it. you got to go through the door, though. There's only one way to access it, and it's through Jesus Christ. But it's by faith that the word is powerful, guys. And I want you to know that when Jesus rose from the dead, every word in the, in, in, in the word of God that was written to that point was made completely activated and powerful and available to all those who would believe. Yeah. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. But are you excited to get in the Word? Yeah. I, I, got a, I got a message for you, and I know you're here today by purpose. And so I want you to focus, and I want you to uh, gear your mind and your heart. I want you to open up your heart. That's an exercise of faith and discipline that you have to do right now is to open up your heart to the Holy Spirit and let the Word minister to you in your heart right now. Because you can close your heart. In fact, you can check out right now and close your heart and not receive anything of that powerful, living, active Word. Or you can choose by your will to say, God, I choose to open up my heart. Not just my mind. I do open up my mind, but I open up my heart to your Word to receive what you have for me today. Is that anyone's... Uh, thought today that you want to do that? Amen. So, so let's pray. Father, we ask an anointing on your word, and we pray right now in Jesus' name that you would come in and make your word alive in our hearts today. Speak to us what you want us to hear this morning on your resurrection birthday, God. The, the day that you were born again and anew, you were the firstborn, the Bible says, from the dead, and you started a whole new generation, a revolution, Lord, for us to live forever. Hallelujah, God. We thank you for that. Speak to our hearts today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So I want you to turn to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 19. We're going to talk about a, a pretty famous uh, statement that Jesus made. And I want to talk a little bit about this statement that he made and the word he said, because I think it's an important word for you to understand. Now remember, this is Jesus, not Jesus Christ, and that's his last name. No, this is Jesus, the Christ. 
Christ wasn't his last name. Christ was a picture of who he was in the Trinity or the Godhead. He was Jesus, the Messiah. He was the Christ. He was the God-man sent to earth. So Jesus, the Christ in John 19. And would you guys stand with me really quick? I just want to honor God's word this morning. Would you just stand and we'll sit right back down. Don't worry, we're not going to stand the whole sermon. They did that in the Old Testament. They made you stand. So we're not going to do that because we're free in the New Testament. Amen? Amen. All right. Oh, you guys are a tough crowd this morning. All right, Lord, Lord, break down some hearts. All right, so John 19, verse 28, and it says this, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, To fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so, that, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. Verse 30 When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. He bowed his head and gave up his spirit. You can be seated. Father God, we thank you for your word. Come now and help us hear your word like you want us to and put action to it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Jesus said, it is finished. And I know you've heard that phrase before, but I want to look in today maybe a different angle of what that actually means. When Jesus said, it is finished, what was he saying? And in fact, when they took that sponge and they offered that wine to him, that poison, that junk to to Christ, it was actually fulfilling scripture. And if you read in your notes, if you have a study study Bible, it was referring to Psalm 69, 21. And King David said, they gave me poison for food and for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. And throughout the Psalms, The prophetic words of God come through David and speak about our Messiah that would come thousands of years later. And this was actually what was awesome about this is when Jesus said it was finished, he was, what was he saying was finished really if you think about it? What was finished? His work on the, the, the earth and his life was about to be ended. There's a lot of things coming to completion, right? But if you look at this Greek word finish, we might get a, a new look into what that means. <clears throat> so I want you to look at that word with me. The definition of that word, it is finished, the phrase, because it's one word, means this, to bring to an end, to complete, to fulfill. It means to finish. And listen to where the word comes from in the root. Now, check this out. The, the Greek word is teleo, teleo, excuse me, teleo, and it comes from the word talking about finishing the necessary process. Now listen to this, this gets really interesting on the word. So it talks about finishing so the process can come to a complete a completion with the results, listen, of rolling over to the next level or phase. Whoa. Because sometimes when we think of the word in English, finish, we think finish, done, done, we're never going back there, it's complete, we go on to something new. But Jesus, when he said it was finished, he was completing one aspect of it, one part of it. And in fact, um, got me one of these, a pirate scope. Aye, right? And to better illustrate this word, Because it is so powerful that this word talks about not only completing something, but going into and resulting in the rollover to the next level or phase. And as you pull this telescope out, right, it works and it's kind of cool and fun and kids love it. I love it. But when Jesus said it was finished, he pulled out the first one. Because he was completing one phase, 
His work was complete and, and his work was finished, but many other works were just beginning. And so the first work, that Greek word, teleo, means to bring to an end. See, this section of this telescope can't come out anymore. We're going to come back to this, but also I thought of another one that we'll all know. You know, this baton in a relay race describes this word really well. When you're running your mile, your full thing around the track, and you're coming into that zone of where you're handing off the baton to the next person, this is a perfect, another good picture of this word because when Jesus was in that leg and he'd finished his mile, he said, it is finished. I am done with this phase. Now I'm rolling over. All the work that I've done to a completion is now being birthed into a new phase and a new level. And he hands out the baton. And I would say to you today, God's handing a baton out to you. He's handing a baton out to you every day when you wake up to take his baton and go into that next phase. But we'll talk more of that because Jesus' phase of this was beautifully done because the interesting part of it was finished was you got to ask yourself, in Jesus' words, in his heart and mind, yeah, he was probably thinking, yeah, it's finished. I'm done suffering, right? I mean, come on. Do we need to go through the crucifixion again? We all know it, but it's intense. I mean, he was bloody and beaten and, and, and pierced for us. Uh, he was a crown of thorns. I just watched a video yesterday, and if you saw uh, Mel Gibson's movie about, man, the real thorns and them beating it on his head and, and the gruesome pain that he went through. Yeah, I'm sure Jesus was thinking about uh, that's going to be finished, amen? Wouldn't you be like, oh God, please end this, right? I mean, Jesus the night before was, oh God, he's like, Father, please let this go from me. I don't want to do this, but not my will, but your will. But you know what gives us a good picture of, I think, what was really on the heart of Christ, Jesus? Christ, the one who came down and dwelt as a man, is, I think it's found in Matthew 5, uh, chapter 5. So if you have a Bible or your phone, turn to Matthew chapter 5. And it's interesting because we were reading this in our journal plan. And if you're reading with us um, and, and through the Bible, you're going to have read this. If not, I would ask that you would join us. It's awesome. We have journals over there. You can grab one and, and start reading through. The Bible is powerful, guys. And reading it together even makes that even greater. But in Matthew 5, 17, we read a little part of Scripture where Jesus, while he was alive, gave us a glimpse into this word, what was being finished. <laughs> so I want you to read with me in verse 17 of Matthew chapter 5. And Jesus speaking here says this to the crowd. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or prophets. Uh oh, right there, we have some problems, right? The New Testament church, man, we're all about the Old Testament ain't for us. I don't have to do none of that. I'm free from the law. Oh, yeah, I'm done. And we are, and I'm going to talk about that. But we have this problem with this because Jesus said, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets. And really, they were kind of looking for someone. The Messiah's promise was someone that was going to come and was going to get them out of this terrible bondage they were in. They were thinking it was a physical thing where a new king would come in and they would rule as an empire. But at the same time, you got to understand these Jews, man, they've been obeying and following rules their whole life. I mean, they could never measure up. I mean, rule after rule. In fact, God gave them some rules, and then they decided to add a bunch of more rules to the rules. And they had rules about the rules for the rules. And it was just so crazy because it got to this religious spirit of always having to perform, always having to come up and measure up to this certain standard or rule. And you remember the Pharisees and the scribes in the Bible? They were the religious ones. They were the ones God wasn't so nice to. He loved them, but man, did he beat them up with words. 
He was so good at it. But look what he says. Jesus said, don't think that I've come to abolish the law of prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but I have come to fulfill the law. Whoa. Then look what he says in verse 18. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away. Wait a minute. Till heaven and earth pass away. Has that happened yet? So has the, uh, the law and the prophets gone away? No, it hasn't. Until that earth passes away, not an iota or a dot, a squiggle, a tat, you know, the Hebrew, they, the Greek, they had all these little squiggles and dots and stuff that meant all this stuff. A yod and an odd and a... Yeah, and, and, and their word was so technical because that's what the law had to be. Because God, you see, was perfect. And if you want to be around God, you have to be perfect. You can't have a mistake. And if you ever made one, oh boy, you better get an animal sacrifice, and you better go through all these rules and ritual things just to be eligible to maybe be accepted by God. And Jesus says, you know, nothing, it won't pass the last until all is accomplished. Verse 19, therefore, whoever relaxes, listen to this, church, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments, the least, and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does, does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And then he lays it down. He lays the smack down on the crowd. He says in verse 20, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get to heaven. What? I mean, the Pharisees and scribes were the ones doing everything they could and uh, fasting and doing all these ritualistic things to try and cut, cut them, do all these crazy things to try and make God like them. And they had gotten so into that that they had parted from really what the true meaning of the word and the law was. They got so over to trying to earn their way to God and earn God's love, they forgot about that he doesn't desire sacrifice. He desires mercy. He desires a good heart. He was always after the heart, not after what you could do, because he knew you couldn't do it. But Jesus laid down the smackdown, and he said in your notes there, you had to be perfect. Wow, what a, what a bar to raise. Any perfect people in here? Raise your hand so we can take you outside and give you hugs. No one's perfect. No one's perfect. But Jesus said, if you want to be in heaven, you got to be perfect. So he says this huge standard, and you ever feel that standard in your life where you feel like you never measure up? You feel like you're always short a few cards? You feel like you never quite get there in life? You're always trying to perform, always trying to please people, always, tr always trying to be better. I mean, come on, just in diets alone. <laughs> Every Monday, it's a new fad. I mean, oh, we have two superstars here, but besides these two that are superstars in this, there's a struggle. There's a struggle to always, we're always trying to be better, and as much as we try, 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 it seems like we can never reach that bar, especially when Jesus says things like, you got to be better than those people that all they do is try and be good. you got to be way better than them to even have a chance. Oh, my gosh. Jesus said you got to be perfect. And when Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, you know what he was saying? You know what he was bringing to an end? He was bringing an end to the system of you having to be perfect. He brought an end to the teaching that says you have to be perfect and earn your way to God. 
Listen to what Romans 8 says. We've all heard this part, uh, especially the first verse. Romans 8, 1, very popular verse. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. You see, no one could do the law. No one could fulfill it. But sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. And listen to this, church, verse 4. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in who? You and me. In us. Not in, Jesus fulfilled it, but he did it so that the law, we would be able to fulfill the law. We can now say through Jesus Christ, if Jesus came and said, hey, you got to be better than the Pharisees, and we can say, I am because of you. And I stand in you. And because what Jesus did, he uh, took the requirements of the law and fulfilled every part of the law to perfection and gave it to us. He finished it. He finished it. He completed it. He brought it to an end phase where now we are not subjugated to fulfill the law and perform in the law. And aren't you glad today that we don't have to perform, that it's not based on our ability to to do what is right to get God's favor. We can never do that. And I want to set you free today by the words of God that are coming right now to your heart and mind that you have been striving to be good enough. And you need to stop and let Jesus, who is already good enough, be that for you in your heart by surrendering your life to him, by giving him your heart, by making him the Lord of your life, the Lord of your life. God does not tolerate second place. God, you either accept God as Lord and Lord of everything else you don't accept him. So if you say, oh, I believe in Jesus, but you haven't surrendered part of your life to him, you've never been saved. You are only saved when you surrender everything to him. It's a baptism into death. It's a resurrection to life. You don't get saved by just saying, oh, I believe in Jesus. The demons believe in Jesus and they shudder. Belief in and of itself is not enough because belief has to be coupled with action. Faith without works is dead. And you can't believe and have nothing showing in your life because that belief is not true belief unless it has a true heart change where every compartment Every part of your life, every part of your past, every part of who you are is under the lordship of Christ, has surrendered to him. You cannot surrender part. It's either whole or nothing. And I believe today half the church or even more may suffer with this where they think they're saved but they've only surrendered part of their life and they've held on to the parts they, they want to control, the parts they're afraid to give away, the memories they have or the things they're involved in right now of this world that they just can't let go because it's theirs and they want it. And, but they still profess that they believe in Jesus. But I believe the scriptures are going to come true when Jesus said, many of you will say, Lord, Lord to me on that day of judgment. You'll say, Lord, Lord, we love you. And Jesus will say, I never knew you. Depart from me. Because it's all or nothing, church. It's all. It's a surrender. And when Jesus said it was finished, you get to now stop having to work so hard to try and please God. You can enter by grace through faith in Christ and say, God, now I am perfectly pleasing to you, not based on what my do or my performance, but based on the performance of Jesus Christ because he fulfilled the law for me. 
He legally, in court, fulfilled the law for you. He pardoned you. He paid your debt. He let you go. He redeemed you. He untied your hands and freed you up. All legally in court because Jesus had to fulfill that. And listen to me. When he got that sour uh, wine and, and that thing lifted up to him, that was the last prophetic word that needed to be fulfilled before he gave his last breath. There's other prophecies from the Old Testament that were going to continue to be fulfilled about the Messiah. But up to that point, Jesus did perfectly fulfill every one. And can you imagine being that cross? And he knew this. He'd meditated on the scriptures. He'd read the Psalms. He'd meditated on Isaiah and Deuteronomy. He knew the word. He was a living God, but he had to learn the word and, and put it in his heart. And he remembered that one last Psalm while he's on the cross. He's like, there's only one thing left. I've almost got it all. And then he saw that wine coming up. And he says, that's it. That's the last fulfillment that I have to do so that you, 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 and you, and me can now stand before God in a legal court of the kingdom of heaven and say, I have completely fulfilled the law through Jesus Christ. That's exciting, guys. That's freeing because now you can stop worrying and being afraid of trying to always perform and work. And when you stumble and fall, just get up and say, God, I blew it. I'm sorry. I'm, I want to get right back into the center of Jesus Christ. And it's okay. And God, that's, God knows what's going to happen. He, he expects. That's why he said in 1 John, if, if you've sinned, just confess your sin. Confess it. Repent before it. Turn from there. Change your mind on how you're thinking so you don't keep sinning. God doesn't want you to keep sinning on the same thing over and over because for one, it's just stupid. But secondly, it's just a, it's a big pain in your butt. I mean, and it hurts you. It, it kills you. It takes life away from you. Wouldn't you rather have life than experience death? So it is finished. And then where did he go from there? I, I'm not going to spend much time on this, but I thought it would be fun because as we're looking at what God said on the cross, he said, it is finished. And he completed that work of performance for us. You know, the Bible says, uh, and some people vary on what they believe Jesus did after, after his death. But one thing's for sure, he went down and kicked some serious butt. I mean, wherever you think he went, he kicked some serious spiritual butt. I mean, there's so much evidence in the new scripture that what Jesus did in power. But Ephesians 4 says this, you know, after he died and he gave up his breath and committed his spirit to God, it says in Ephesians, however, uh, he has been given... Um, each of one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That's why the scriptures say when he ascended to the heights, he led the crowds captives and gave gifts to the people. And notice that it says he ascended. Um, this clearly means that Christ also descended into our low, lowly worlds, and the same one who descended in us has ascended higher than the highest heavens so that all might be uh, fill the entire universe with himself. You know, there's a few Psalms I want to read to you because in the Old Testament, Sheol was the, 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 the holding place of the dead, and Hades is what the New Testament refers to, the holding place of the dead. And so in, in the Old Testament, and we see that through, remember the story of Lazarus the beggar when he died, and remember that, remember that story about him? He was on one part of, uh, in, in Hades, or in, in they called it different words, but um, there was a good part and a bad part, and there's a big chasm, remember? And remember the, the rich man was on the bad side, tormented, wanting just a drop of water to fall on his tongue. But then the beggar, Lazarus, who had a very bad life and got beat up, and, but he somehow kept the faith, and he was on the good side of that. 
and he was in a place that very resembles a paradise. There was, it was a good place, but it was separated by a chasm. And so we have this place of holding because until Jesus actually became the sacrifice and said, it is finished, that had to be accomplished before anything could be activated after that. Well, we know now, and the good news is we don't have to go there because to be absent from our body now, the moment you take your last breath and you have Christ in you, you're with Jesus Christ. And so what Jesus did, though, is with his authority now, right, because he completed the law. He restored us back to the original intent and heart of God in, in Adam and Eve when we could be connected and, and one with God. And he restored that legally in the spirit realm. And the Bible promises over and over in Psalms that God would not leave him. And they call it in Sheol. Listen to this in Psalms 49, 15. But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. Psalms 86, 13. For great is your steadfast love towards me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. What can, um, uh, what can live and never see death? Psalms 89, 48. Who can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? So Jesus was, now, now when we die, you know, don't want to get too technical in this part, but it's kind of fun. When you die, you're a spirit being. Did you know that? Yeah. Michelle, did you know that? Did you, did you know that you're a spirit being? Yeah, and that you have a mind and, and a will and emotions and a soul, but you also have this body that we walk around in this earth suit is just temporary, Right? Right? So it's, it's temporary. It's going to die one day, and God's going to give us a new body. And so when you die, your spirit being, your soul breaks, tears off. And so Jesus had to suffer every way we did. So he suffered death. He suffered the whole experience of dying, being separated from the body, and being separated into that whole new world, stepping through that doorway into eternal life. And because he had lived perfectly, he got to enter that life with perfect power and authority. I mean, Talk about an exciting time. Can you imagine seeing Christ? I mean, just think if you're in the Old Testament and you're Elijah Moses and all those guys and, and you're waiting and all of a sudden you're in this great place. I mean, it's a comfortable place. God's taking care of you, right? There's big chasm still and there's, there's people waiting over here that were wicked and they're going to wait the final judgment. And, but you're waiting and all of a sudden, bam! Jesus comes in and just bright light just shining all out of him. And there's glory and power and there's fire in his eyes and there's love in his eyes for the church. And he's coming down and you don't even have to listen to him because you know he's got good news because you don't show up like that with bad news. You show up like that. You, come on. You're kicking butt and taking names is what you're doing when you show up like that. And man, he came down and set us free. And, you know, there's not a lot of detail on the specific things he did, but listen to what Colossians 2 says. He said, it says this in verse 13 in Colossians 2. It says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcised, uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive. You who were dead, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses. Whew, aren't you glad they're all forgiven? 14, by canceling the record of debt. Who would like their debt canceled? Right? You have such a big debt, spiritually, without Christ, you would never be able to pay it off for all eternity. That's how big our spiritual debt is. But Jesus said he canceled that and paid it for us. He said, by canceling the record of debt and stood against us with the legal demands. Remember I said it was a court of law? This is what Paul's talking about. He canceled the record of debt that stood against you and me with legal demands on our life. For the wages of sin is death. 
The wages of sin of death, the legal demand on your life is that you account and pay for what you did. And if you don't have a, a mediator, a redeemer in place for you, you have to make payment. And there's one day everyone in this room is going to have a legal demand to stand before God and make payment. And you better be in Christ else you're toast. If you don't have a relationship with God, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, there's going to be a legal demand on you and you're going to have to pay. And once you breathe your last breath, that's it. You have till you breathe your last breath to make that decision to make God the Lord of your life or make him total Lord or not. There's no halfway, two-thirds, nine-sixteenths. None of that even counts. He's either Lord or not. Come on. So Colossians says this. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So that debt, the legal demand that we had, Christ nailed it to the tree, to the cross. That's awesome. And listen to what he says in verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. That's talking about spiritual principalities of, uh, in high places. And put them to open shame by triumphing over them in the cross. You see, the enemy and his kingdom was thinking that they were taking Jesus out. They thought, oh, there he is, let's kill him. And, by, and it's the great reversal, really. It's, it's the perfect setup. God set up the devil so bad, it's awesome. I mean, check it out. The whole time, the devil's trying to kill him when he's born, right? He's a little baby, he's after him, and he flees in a dream. Joseph's told to go, and he goes. And every time, and, uh, uh, Jesus did his first miracle, and they tried to throw him off a cliff. And so they're trying to kill him this whole time. And God's like, oh, yeah, I'm playing this game. Yeah, they're trying to kill him, and I'm going to save him and rescue him just to the right time, because a prophetic word, I know exactly when he needs to die. And so up to there, he's a, yeah, he's just kind of, remember that commercial with the old man with the dollar on the, yeah. <laughs> I love that. He's, that's what God is doing, Satan. Come on, come on, get the dollar. Come on, come on, come on. Satan's like trying to grasp at it. And then he's like, and then he let him get it. And, and the Lord of glory died. And then that worked in our advantage because we got everything paid for. And then God's like, Oh, awesome, thanks. And, this, and can you imagine Satan just going, oh my gosh, I've been played. The player, the liar, the deceiver got played. Yeah. Amen, isn't that awesome? Yeah. And so I'm excited that Jesus made an open public spectacle of the enemy by triumphing over the cross. So that's what he did, I believe. He went down and took care of business, showed off his glory, established a new law and a new covenant, and now Jesus has the keys. Jesus has the keys. Well, what are the keys? Let's look at it. Revelations 1, 27 says this. And Jesus speaking, when I, or John speaking, when I saw him, Jesus, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid, but he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I live forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. Where everyone was. Remember, Hades was that holding place like Sheol. It's the same thing, just different testaments. Jesus took the keys, the authority. He has the legal authority now by his work. Why? It is finished. I've completed my leg. I've pulled out this one, and now I'm on the second phase. I went down to Hades, and I kicked some butt, took some names, got the keys, right? Got the keys, took the keys, and now I have authority over death and hell. Now, oh, death, where is your sting? 
You don't have to be afraid of death anymore. You, you can have faith and walk in victory in life. You don't have to have fear. Just like Allison was saying during worship day, Jesus Christ and his work, we don't have to do this anymore. We don't have to be stressed out and worried all the time. We don't have to be afraid or depressed. We don't have to be worried about our next meal because how much more will God take care of you if he's going to take care of these beautiful flowers that you're seeing right now in spring? I mean, look at these. They're, they're more splendorous looking than Solomon who... Wow, what an amazing place he built, but how much better and how much more will God take care of you? Yeah. You see, he has the keys now and he's, he's saying, it is finished. Section one, I'm handing it off to the next. Section two, I've got keys for you guys. I've got keys. Listen, listen to what he says in Revelation 3. It gets even better. Anyone ever come up against a closed door? Figuratively or, or literally. Yep. Where you can't get through, ever locked yourself out of the car? Oh, man. Man. I, you know, I, I got to tell you a quick story. My wife, uh, when we go shopping, we always put um, our groceries and stuff in the trunk. And every time Jen says, you got your keys, before she closes it. And I always teased her. Oh, no, I don't. I'm going to leave them in the trunk. Being stupid, right? And she's like, I'm just trying to. So I'm mocking her, right? Well, my payback's coming. And so I'm making fun of her, and she puts up with it, and, and, and I know, I probably shouldn't, you know. Yeah, I got my keys. I said, and she closes. Oh, no, I forgot them. Just kidding. Oh. <laughs> Stupid, right? You know. I'm still a junior higher. Yeah. It, it was funny in junior high, but now it's not. Anyway, and then it really wasn't funny one day when I came to church, and I actually locked my keys in my trunk. That was not a good day. And I said, honey, um, yeah, the keys are in the trunk. There's a locked door. Uh, you're right, and I'm sorry for all the times I made fun of you. Will you forgive me? She's like, yep. And now last night went to the store, and I said, I can't say anything, can I? She's like, nope. <laughs> Got my keys right here. Revelations 3, 7 says this, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, meaning he was in the rightful ownership line of Messiah and King. He has the authority to go and do what he's doing. Who, Jesus, opens and no one will shut. Who shuts and no one will open. You have, there's no door. If you've got a dilemma in front of you where there's a door, God's going to open it for you or he's going to keep it shut. And there's nothing, no one else can do about it. Hell can't do nothing about it. You can't do nothing about it. So why are you worried about it? Trust the Lord. He's got you. He wants better things for you than you do yourself. He's got your good in mind. He sees your day before you. He's going to make decisions that you can't see yet. So trust him because he's going to make the decisions that's best for you because he loves you. How much? More than a father loves his kid. How much more, the Bible says, if a kid asked for bread, would he get a scorpion or a snake? Or if he asked for a breakfast, would he give him gravel? No. Well, how much more would the Holy Spirit give you good things? Come on, think about it, church. I want you to put down, uh, well, look in Ephesians 1, and we're gonna, I'm going to wrap this up with a thought on, on Jesus' words after resurrection. But in Ephesians 1, I want you to look um, at verse 7. You know, and, and you can read through Ephesians 1, because Ephesians 1 shows you a great picture 
and describes who you can be in Christ with the power of the risen Jesus. So he goes in and he starts out, I mean, listen to verse 3. Blessed be our God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. I mean, wow, that's, that's awesome. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad you're adopted from the, from the Lord? And listen to verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood. You all know you've been redeemed, right? Well, the, the, key, the word there in the Greek for redeemed is a Greek word that the base of it means to loose or to untie. Picture your hands tied behind your back. You couldn't get out. You couldn't get away. You're kind of like an elephant, right, that's been posted in the ground, and they think it's still there, but pretty soon they just tie the rope around the leg, and, they, and the, the elephant thinks it's bound. But Jesus came up, and he redeemed you. He untied you and freed you up to go live life and to operate in his kingdom. He's redeemed you. So read through Ephesians 1 and look at how great it is and what a great thing you have in Jesus Christ and the way you can live. It's a beautiful passage, but I don't want to get too deep because there's so much good stuff in there that um, I might be in danger of doing you know, a long sermon and You can't do a long sermon on Easter. It's like bad stuff. But I do want to get to this because God added this closing statement that I want to talk to because Jesus said it was finished. He fulfilled all the law for you. He went down. He set captives free. He got some keys. And on the third day, he rose in power. And then I was praying for this weekend. And I said, God, how do you want to end this? How do, you, how do you want me to, what, what else do you want for this weekend specifically? And I always ask him, Lord, am I on track? I don't want to be on my own thing. I don't, I don't, I do my own stuff. I don't really, uh, I just, I pray and I say, God, what do you want to say? And he said, well, why don't you look at the, uh, what, what Jesus said after he rose from the dead? Okay. He says, and I want you to look at it like compartment wise. You know, what's the theme here? What's the over, you know, what, what was he talking about? And I thought, well, that's kind of cool because if he said it is finished and then died, right? Did his deal three days. He rose up in power in this new, awesome, glorified king of kings and lord of lords. And then he, what were the first words he said? You know, he said a lot of things, but there's only a few things recorded. And, and so can we, can we close by taking a look at I want to look at the key things, principles, Jesus, what he talked about when he came back. And, you know, he said a lot of things, but the gospel writers only recorded a few things of actually that we have in red in our Bibles. And you know that that was Holy Spirit directed. And so today I want to talk to you about this. I want to talk to you about uh, the topics that Jesus looked at. You know, in Matthew, you can put there in your notes if you want to write down, he kind of talked about fear, right? He said, don't be afraid. Because they were all afraid, right? When Jesus wrote, they're like, what's happening? Because they weren't really believing for him to raise from the dead, right? You know that. All the disciples were pretty much freaked out, not believing. So he dealt with fear. He dealt with identity, and he dealt with your purpose, the Great Commission, right? Who you are, your authority now in Jesus. In Mark, he talked about doubt and unbelief. Doubt and unbelief actually was the, one of the biggest themes throughout these He talked about your purpose, what you were purposed for, and he went back and talked about power again. So there's a theme created here in each book. And in Luke, he talked again about doubt and your purpose. And then in John, 
He talked about a lot more. He said the most in John after he rose from the dead. He talked about sorrow, purpose, authority, doubt, reason. And then he said, follow me again. Talked with Peter, reconciliation. So you can look through the Gospels and you just go to the last two chapters of each Gospel and just read through what Jesus said. Jesus will talk to you about that. But I want to bring up a, a key point. Jesus brought up doubt. He confronted it quite a bit after he rose from the dead. I mean, you would think that Jesus would be about, hey, I'm here, let's go do the thing, let's party, it's party time, man, the hard work's over, right? Right? I mean, I just got, you know, nailed to a cross, that was pretty tough, right? But now I'm alive, I've got, man, whew, I'm back to town, right? I'm back to the fullness. And look, look what he says, look what he says in Mark 16, 15, check this out, this is him raising from the dead, and look what he first addresses with the disciples. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes in me and baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany them that believe, and they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. They'll drink any deadly poison. It shall not hurt them. They will pray for the sick and they recover, right? And so he's like, man, this is good stuff, right? This is powerful stuff. And then he goes into, um, just before that, he says this in Mark 16, 14. Afterwards, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table, and he rebuked them. Wait, this isn't the Easter morning story I remember hearing. Wait, Jesus rose from the dead and rebukes the disciples? Ah, that's what the Bible says. He rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. On the road to Emmaus, he said this in Luke 24, 25. Remember that one? He said, remember he was walking and the disciples, they didn't name their names. He was walking along and, oh, what's happening? Jesus said, right? And they didn't recognize him at the point. And, oh, you haven't heard? Jesus died? We thought he was going to be, and what, wait, you thought he was going to be king? You thought he was going to be the, the, he was the real deal? And look what Jesus says. He says this, Jesus said to them, oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them all the scriptures that were concerning himself. Isn't that amazing that the first words of Jesus, he's having to rebuke and actually get people to believe that it's real? He goes on, look at in, uh, uh, later on in that same uh, verse 20, or chapter 24, he says, and they were talking about these things. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do, you, why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hand, my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and, and were marveling. He said all that, they touched him, and they still disbelieved. What is going on? You know, there was a lot of doubt. Jesus had to deal with a lot of doubt. The, the one we all are probably familiar with is John 20, verse 24. Remember, remember who was the doubter? Thomas. Now, Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands the marks of his nails and the place my finger in, and place my finger into the mark of his nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Wow. You know, some of us think that, how could you not believe Jesus at this point? But I would say to you today, and I would check your heart today, 
that you're all challenged today, do you really believe? You might say you believe. You might go to church. You might say you know Jesus, but are you a believing person? Are you believing that he is real? Because I want to challenge you, if you really did believe that he is real, wouldn't your life start changing and matching up to that belief system? Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. And he put out his hand and placed it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, You have believed because you have seen me. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You, church, now have the same dilemma. What do you say about Jesus this Easter morning? On the Easter morning, on Resurrection Day, Jesus rose from the dead. All the power of hell was defeated, and he had to go talk his disciples into believing it was true. What do you say? What do you really believe? Not what you're going to say in front of people, What are you going to say when no one else is looking? Are you going to believe when service is over? Are you going to believe and trust God when things get difficult this week at work? Are you going to still believe later when the marriage gets tough or the job has an issue come up or a friend says something that's not true about you? Are you still going to be a believer or are you going to let doubt and fear rise up in your heart and start trying to take it on yourself? And forget that Jesus lived a life for you and completed the law for you. And his strength and his life lives in you. If yes, then it requires action. Because you see, it really isn't finished. Jesus' work is finished. But it's really not finished until you believe. You know, this Pirate's Telescope doesn't work very good until it's all the way open. And that's that word, it is finished. There's nowhere else to go. It's completely done and finished. And this last little leg here is you believing, is you giving your life over to Christ 100%. Not playing games with God anymore, not keeping him on the shelf, not keeping him as fire insurance, not keeping his make you feel good every now and then when you need him. No, this is about a complete full surrender. When Jesus said it was finished, he not only talked about his work making you righteous, he not only talked about getting the keys from hell and giving you new life, he talked about you trusting in your heart that it is really finished. Is it finished? Is there any other alternative for you? If there is, he's not Lord. Does he own every part of your life, including your finances, including your relationships, including your job, including your stuff, including your physical body? then it's not finished until he is Lord of all. You are the only one who can answer the big question. You're the only one today who can answer the question for yourself that it's truly finished. Because it's not finished. The gospel really isn't complete until you and me give over 100% and become all his. On the end of your notes, I put a thing down there. It is finished in an X. And 
you don't have to sign it, but this is something between you and the Lord that you have to decide today. Why don't you make Resurrection Sunday, Easter morning, a time where you say once and for all, I'm finished doing this life on my own. I'm finished trying to live life to fulfill me. Instead, I'm going to live for the king. I'm finished with me trying to take over and provide when I know God can provide for me. I'm finished with doing it my way, and I'm finished with sitting on the throne of my life, and I'm going to surrender to Christ, and I'm going to say once and for all, it is finished. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. Jesus, with, uh, with your work on the cross, it did make it so incredibly easy for us to come into this new relationship with you. Lord, you did make it easy, God. But Lord, you also said that the way unto salvation is narrow and very difficult to get in. But you said the way the world goes and everyone else goes is going to be wide open gate, easy to get into, effortless. You can just do what you want to do. But Jesus, you said if you want to follow you, it would be narrow and very hard. But Lord, you made the way easy by giving up your own son, Father, to give us life. And Lord, we are so thankful for those three words. It is finished. Because God, when you spoke them, Jesus on the cross, Lord, you completed our legal agreement. And we are free. And so Lord, we all we have to do now is to access that by faith. Because it is finished could be an undone truth for the rest of your life until you surrender to Jesus Christ and with every head bowed, with every eye closed, no one looking around. This is just between you and God right now. I want to ask you the question for you personally. Have you, been, have you signed on that line for reals, like in your heart? Does your heart, your passions, your dreams, your defeats, all your problems, do they all belong to God? Or are you still the ruler of your heart? Is it really finished with you? Have you given the Lord 100% reign over your life? Or have you given Him 97? Or 99.5 or even 20%? No matter what percentage you've given, until it's 100%, it's not finished. So my encouragement to you as, as your pastor today is to say, make today the day you declare in your heart that it is finished. I'm no longer going to take over. I'm no longer going to live life for myself. I'm going to surrender to you, God. And if today you can't answer that question, or maybe today you want to answer that question, but you feel guilty and shameful for the stuff you've been doing even last week, and you feel guilty for the things that go through your mind during the week, and you feel like you're not ready or you're not good enough to meet God, I want to tell you, you are in Christ. And if you surrender today, He will wash all that guilty shame off of your heart and your mind. He'll bury all your sins and mistakes in the deepest part of the sea, never to be brought up again. But to get that, you have to surrender 100%. You have to die with Him. You have to be buried with Him. You have to give your whole life over to Him. Not some, but all.
And if that's your desire this morning and you would say, Pastor, I want to say it's finished. I want to sign that line. I want to I operate in this, this great new resurrection power life that Pastor Chris and the worship team sang about this morning that I want to experience this power to overcome the obstacles in my life. I want God's help to get through and I want to stop doing the things I'm doing because I know they're bringing death to me. I know they're bringing heartache and, and hurt to my physical body, my emotional mind and my spirit. I want to stop, but I just don't have the strength and I want it. God will be your strength today. If that's you this morning, I want you to raise your hand up and say, yeah, Doug, that's me. I want to sign on that line today. I want to say once and for all that it is finished. Is there anyone here this morning that would want that? If that's in your heart and you feel a tug right now, that's the Holy Spirit tugging you. And all you have to do is come into agreement with him and say, yes, God, I turn from my sin. I'm going to declare today that it's finished. No more living my life for me. I'm living for you and you only. If that's your desire, I want you to raise your hand up right now. Anybody? Anybody else? I'm signing on that line today. I'm going to make a declaration that it is finished. It is finished. I see that hand. I see that hand. Anyone else? It is finished. Don't let today pass up. Today, the Bible says, is the day of salvation. It's not tomorrow. You're not promised tomorrow. You're not promised this afternoon. Right now, make your decision right now to follow Christ. Is it going to be easy? No, it's going to be the hardest decision you've ever made in your life. And you're going to have to surrender and die to yourself and give him full reign over your life. But I tell you, it's going to be the best decision you'll ever make. If that's you and you want to say, it is finished today, I'm totally God's. Raise your hand up right now. Raise it up where I can see it. Come on, raise your hand up. I'm totally surrendering. No more holding back. It's all yours, God. I'm not playing church anymore. I'm not acting like a Christian when I'm really not acting like one in my heart and mind. It's all you. Come on, I, I know some of you are out there fighting this, but I want you to raise your hand up if that's your desire because it ain't going to be easy. This is going to be a tough fight. Father, you know every heart out there. And Lord, I entrust them to you and I thank you for the words that you spoke through your powerful scriptures today. Lord, thank you for completing all of the law for us so that we can now have no debt, nothing holding us, no chains, nothing binding us, nothing us keeping us back from experiencing you in all your glory and fullness and all your love. We thank you for that, Lord. We th we're thankful that we don't have to perform anymore for you, but now our performance is just out of pure love and thankfulness for you, Lord. We just want to do stuff because we're so in love with you now, Lord, but we know it has nothing to do with whether you accept us or not because Jesus lived the perfect life. So we thank you for that, Father. We thank you for your work, and we thank you again for sending Jesus to be the ultimate sacrifice and to finally finish it for us. Oh, we're thankful for that, God. And we pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. 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 Love you guys. Will you, before you leave, will you just declare to someone else, because I know a lot of you have already finished this in your heart, that Jesus is your Lord, and I know that. But I want you to go find someone, just declare to them that it is finished. And so they're going to know what you're going to mean. Say, it is finished, and my heart is his. Amen? Do that. We love you. We'll see you next week.